Yeah, I'm really excited about this episode and sharing this and some of the stories behind uh, Jim Markey, my dear friend, uh, my colleague, um, mentor, um, and basically the man who inspired me when I was working sex crimes. Because at the last episode, at the end, we did a, a tribute uh, to honor Jim, but it was sad as it as it is. We lost somebody who was an advocate for sexual assault victims and in every aspect of that word, uh, as the cop, as an investigator, as a supervisor, as a task force. Um, he was in all aspects in law enforcement. And then as a consultant, training, and again, as an advocate, bring these sex kits back to life so that th these cold cases can be solved and these bad people put away, hopefully forever. But what I didn't share was uh, a couple of stories, and I have two stories that um, kind of go to the person he was in a very comical way. Um, when I first came on the department, I also owned a video business, and I would go to these conferences, uh, Video Software Dealers Associations, and meet famous people and all sorts of stuff, and I wanted to bring my boss, who I had a really good rapport with a real good relationship he was about my age he's only a couple years older good guy uh, i just had a lot of respect for him because he's very humble when he came on to supervise the squad i had been there for a couple of years and, and knew just enough to make myself valuable to him i guess uh and so he instead of kind of saying i'm the boss i'm here he was literally trying to learn from me in terms of the job as it relates to sex crimes. He knew the job as it relates to robbery and some other details he worked, but he hadn't worked sex crimes, and there is a expertise involved. And so um, the reason I bring up the Video Dealer Software Association and my owning a business is I kind of went to him and said, hey, I'm going to this uh, conference. Um, I, I can get you in as my East Coast manager, the regional manager. And he laughed. He says, I'm in. And so we go to Vegas, and, and we're going to the conference, and we're at a bar afterwards, and we're having a drink. And I think this is the first time I ever had a beer with him. I had many, many, many after um, very nice um, times and, in, in, you know, just that fellowship of a cop and talking, you know, war stories and so forth. But this was early on in our relationship and I was talking to him and I said, you know, I love Corona because of that lime and the chemical reaction that the lime has with the hops. And he goes, the what? And I said, you know, there's actual literally a chemical reaction when the, um, hops react to the lime and it actually, you can see it. It's actually kind of sparkles. You can actually see it. Uh, so I kind of showed him my, my Corona and I put my thumb over to the top of the, the drinking area, turned it upside down so you could see the lime now going up, almost like a Poseidon adventure scenario where now it's going to the bottom, which is now the top. And it's that slow trickle going up. And then I turn it back right side up and now it's slowly going up. And I said, can you see it, the, the, that chemical reaction? He goes, no. So I put it real close to his face. And right when he's like literally an inch away from the bottle, I lift my finger and of course the, the beer spews on his face. Uh, that that <laughs> and, and his reaction. Now, what the hell I was thinking doing that to my boss, I'll never know. But, but maybe I do. Maybe I do know because he was such a good guy, humble, funny and he took it he laughed his ass off he laughed his ass off and so did i and i've been laughing ever since until a couple of days ago when i learned about uh 
his passing. And um, that was a story I just kind of wanted to share in terms of the humility, that just a good guy wanting to do the right thing in a leadership role and a great leader inspires. They don't intimidate, they inspire. And this man absolutely inspired me to be the best detective in such crimes that I could possibly be. So, Jim, I thank you, sir. Um, Rest in peace. And here is that episode in its entirety. Overlooking Phoenix from high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of Badge Boys, the show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired silent witness Sergeant Darren Birch. I am retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have such a great show this week. Uh, several weeks back, we talked about the serial shooter case. And you can't talk about the serial shooter case without mentioning the baseline killer case and vice versa. So we have the lead supervisor in the baseline rapist as it was evolving into such a horrible, horrible homicidal crime series. Then after that, we have our cop talk where we're going to talk about keeping you safe because... It's always about when the ne- next shoe is going to drop because there's a sexual predator out there that's going to be our next AM rapist, our next baseline rapist. There's always some monster out there wanting to um, to hurt people out there. It's just that simple. And then after that, our last segment is going to be a very special heroic headline where we're going to have a guest, and then we're absolutely going to have Jason Sackley do his inspirational moment. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you'll be entertained. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. As Darren mentioned, we have a great episode today. I am very honored to be sitting with retired Phoenix Police Sergeant Jim Markey, who I never had the pleasure of working for, but I did work around, and he had an incredible reputation. And the baseline killer, as I know it, because I was involved in three of the nine murders working alongside some of our great investigators, but Jim was there from the beginning before it really unfolded into what we now know as one of the worst times in the history of Phoenix that coincided with the serial shooter. Just an unbelievable time. So, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome, and can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I had the privilege and the honor to work for Jim uh, for seven years, and then we worked together on some sex crime cases. 
but I don't know if there's anything as far as the, uh, the community that thinks of as big as that baseline rapist case. Um, we've had some horrific cases, but that one lasted so long. Um, before we get into that, though, I'd love to hear about what you're doing now, Jim, as far as uh, business. Well, first of all, it's great, Jason, to see you. Thanks, um, sir. And you're active. And Darren, it's nice to see you again. I appreciate the opportunity to, today to be here. Uh, I'm still working the area of sexual violence. So uh, I've taken a position with Research Triangle Institute. It's a research and development corporation out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And right now our big project is working on the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative, which is a BJA-funded project. It's, uh, they have put out over $100 million in grants, and right now we're working through unsubmitted, untested rape kits across the country. I can't wait to talk about that specifically because with new technology, we really do need to look at these old sex kits, even the ones that may have been looked at and no uh, evidence was gleamed. Now with current technology, evidence could be uh, found in those kits. So, but first, let's talk about the baseline. Uh, how did that all develop? Because you were working in sex rooms at the time, and what year is this? Uh, 2005. Uh, August of 2005, we were still in the middle of the AM rapist case. And if you remember that, um, that was a 12-month investigation with over 16 uh, victims uh, of uh, David Wilson, who was uh, convicted of those. So we were pretty exhausted. We had used a lot of resources. And uh, lo and behold, August of 2005, um, we responded to a sexual assault of three juveniles in South Phoenix. Uh, that was the first case that we knew of. Um, eventually tying to uh, Mark Godot and the baseline killer. Uh, within three months, we had uh, nine uh, additional sexual assault victims. We were tracking those cases pretty closely, um, but as we uh, know, uh, Mr. Godot was very clever um, in how he committed his crimes, um, and he was prolific. And um, those eventually morphed into, uh, well, actually, our sexual assaults stopped. Uh, what we what we didn't realize at the time was uh, the, the victims were being murdered. And so those cases were going to homicide. Um, so, um, you know, we kind of were scratching our heads. We'd actually had an individual we believed was our suspect. Uh, we had him in on other charges. It coincided with the stopping of our sexual assaults. And so we were thinking, okay, we've resolved another case. And uh, actually it turned out much worse than, than we had thought. What kind of linked them together early on before the DNA came in? Was there an MO that kind of hit, or was it his uh, description, uh, the area? I'm kind of hinting to the area based on his uh, moniker. Well, yeah, I mean, I hate to give credit to these individuals and call them a certain type of you know, baseline AM. It just gives them credit for what they're doing. But our initial crimes began in the area of baseline road. So we knew there was some sort of... Uh, geographical connection uh, with that area. Um, it, it really kind of started with uh, homicide to kind of come to us and say, do you have um, some sexual assaults? And we said, well, we have these um, that we've been working in that area. Um, and there were some very unique aspects because we were able to interview our victims clearly and get additional information. We, have we had a description uh, of this individual. Uh, we had his MO. And so there was a lot of things uh, that we, uh, we had information that Clearly, homicide victims can't provide for their investigators. For those people that may not have been in the Valley, then, and plus this show plays uh, across the nation, can you kind of talk a little bit about the crimes themselves, uh, what his MO was, if you will? Well, uh, it was really unique for the sexual assaults. Uh, he, um, 
he chose multiple victims to do these sexual assaults. So Which it, is very unusual. Yes, it, it was very unique. Um, they, were, they were clearly uh, outdoor offenses that, that he was approaching victims, so there was no uh, breaking into any homes. Um, he would target uh, women who were walking, uh, usually in a pair, um, and, and approach them, use certain verbiage to, to, to control them. Um, he usually had a weapon, and then he would move them to another location um, and uh, commit his crimes, and then try to cover up his crimes by destroying certain evidentiary items. And when you think about all the other cases that you had, was there any, but any cases that kind of remind you as, as, as prolific as he was? Um, I, and I think about the Am Rapist case. Well, clearly, if you know about sexual offenders, they are, you're pretty much going with the idea they're, they're serial offenders. Um, they're going to continue to offend, um, and they're going to uh, continue to assault and, in some cases, murder folks until, until you catch them or they, or they die. And so um, this was a, a long series of several serial cases that we had been involved in uh, in Phoenix at the time. And if you can, talk a little bit about the task force. So when you realized there was a connection with homicide, there was a task force, and then ultimately a... Um an arrest was made, and the city was safe again. Well, kudos to the task force. Uh, you know, I was just one, one little uh, part of that task force. Um, but, you know, to, to, to gather resources to address a specific crime issue, um, it's not easy for an agency to do that. I mean, there's wheels that have to turn and turn in order to get that. We had just come off, like I said, the AM case. We, we had over 150 officers involved in that task force, and people were tired. Uh, they were exhausted. We still had other cases coming in. Um, but the task force was put together under the premise that, you know, uh, collaboratively, uh, if we bring these resources together and address this one issue, we'll be able to find resolution much quicker than a couple of detectives just trying, trying to work a case. And Jason can talk about how exhausted the homicide unit was because they were working the serial shooter case. So everybody was exhausted. It was like the perfect storm. Yeah, as Cliff Jewell just mentioned a couple weeks ago on the show, we had a lot of our resources dedicated to that. And talk about random, no MO, they switched weapons, things like that. And with the once it became what we knew as the baseline killer, I mean, you're talking about two women in a food truck way out west. You're talking about a woman, the first one I was involved in, sitting waiting for a bus at 40th Street and Baseline, and just the, the complete randomness of it. And, yeah, people were trying to merge all these resources, and thankfully they had the foresight to go talk to us. Hey, is something going on in sex crimes? And go ask Sergeant Markey. And, you know, the AM case he talked about, I love just even remembering, that was closed by good old-fashioned police work, by officers and detectives working their butts off and surveillance and just guessing right about locations and all that stuff is phenomenal so yeah we were stretched 05 06 it was a pretty rough time for for people who were not working 
here at the time or living here, you, you just can't imagine the amount of hours that went into this. And what made this more difficult and problematic, and maybe you can kind of weigh in on this, Jim, is movies and TV shows, they always show these, these horrible monsters, these murders, targeting specific victims. You know, they, there's this victimology at play. These, both these crime series, but absolutely the uh, um, baseline rapist was really opportunistic. It's you're at the, these victims were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, there's some, there's some, what's really cool about this Sexual Assault Kid Initiative project is we're doing a lot of research on offenders. Um, and they're looking at these, these suspects in these cold rape cases that we're identifying. Um, and it, it's interesting that that's one of the phenomena that they're seeing is opportunity was a huge part of these cases. Now, I, w- I would also say that you can create your opportunities by, by, by certain plans and certain planning of how you're going to commit the crime. You know, you got to think about the crime, uh, plan it, commit it, and then think about how am I going to get away with it because you don't want to get caught, clearly. And so uh, opportunity was, you know, just a, a personal note with the baseline, my, my sister-in-law lived less than a quarter mile of eventually where uh, Mark Godot was living and where several of the cr- crimes were centered. And I, I used to, you know, call her every day and say, don't go out of your house after 7 o'clock at yeah, Mark not yours, not now. Stay with not your now. husband. It's just it was just that dangerous, and and uh, and uh, so that, that was a personal note that, that I want to make sure it, you know that the community was safe, but in particular my sister in law was right right in the middle of that bullseye of, of where things were occurring. And that's a good segue because next uh, segment, uh, Jason and I are going to talk about keeping the community safe because again, the, uh, she's going to drop, and there's going to be another another rapist out there. Uh, you mentioned the rape kits. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of uh, what we used to do and now with the new technology, do we need to look at every rape kit out there now? Um, I'm in the camp that says yes. Good and here's, here's, here's the reason why. Um, we looked very myopically at one particular sexual assault case, and we have a sexual assault kit involved in that case. And we would say uh, it doesn't appear that testing this kid is going to move this case forward. Um, what we're finding, and clearly what we need to, uh, to address, is we now have this very powerful DNA database. And yes, we may not solve that individual case, but what we're seeing is evidence from these cases is linking these criminals to, I would say, thousands of other cases uh, that we're able to solve. And um, we've done some really cool, and I say we, we, we have a great team uh, a, a training and technical assistant team as part of this project that we brought in collaborative partners, Joyful Heart Foundation, Equitas, Rain, uh, several very, very uh, uh, convicted partners that want to be a part of sexual assault reform. And it starts with the sexual assault kits. And so I've seen phenomenal um, uh, results from places like Memphis, Detroit, um, Houston, where they've just had thousands and thousands of these unsubmitted rape kits. Two things. First of all, who in the hell is in the camp that says no? <laughs> I'm going back and, and testing these things. You it's don't a have to answer that. That stunned me when you said you're in the camp that says yes. That means there's another camp. Could you, for my education and the public, something that I find incredibly interesting right now, every week, at least once a week, you'll see on the news that a case 20, 30, 40 years old is getting solved by, is it called, is it the genealogical DNA where they're just matching up 
relatives of some sort, and it is fascinating to me that this is getting done. Can you elaborate more on for people like me who are not educated on this process, how that's coming to fruition right now? Yeah, well, that, that's becoming really really popular. So there's a lot of you know um, areas in genealogy testing for 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 crimes to solve crimes. Um, part of it is there are some public accessible databases that people volunteer to put their DNA to see if they match any other uh, families, uh, any other people that, that they don't know about. Um, law enforcement, of course, we're very innovative, and when we see an opportunity to use a tool to try to solve a crime, we're going to try to do that. Um, so far, um, I can tell you that uh, what they predict within two to three years 90% of the population in the United States will have some sort of relative's DNA in that database. So if one of your relatives is, uh, is committing a crime and your DNA happens to be in there, there's a good possibility that law enforcement is going to be able to discover that through this genealogy testing um, and, and identify somebody. You, the uh, Golden State Killer. That was um, the one, yeah. That was just an incredible close to, I, I mean, he stopped, correct? Way, yeah, back, oh yeah, he way, went, way back in the early 80s. And what's interesting about that, I just saw a presentation, is there was a heck of a lot of police work that went into it. It sure. just, just wasn't sure. running this through a genealogical d- database. There was a lot of just good old-fashioned police You still got to make the case. Yep. Yeah. Each and every Absolutely. case. Now, recently I was talking to a, uh, uh, the lead attorney with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office um, Major Offender Task Force, and I believe you know him, and he was talking about Maricopa County had one of the first cases in the nation where a private business, one of these Ancestry.com type businesses, was able to provide evidence to help solve a case. Um, This is just going to get bigger and bigger, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I I see it growing. Uh, I also see on the other side, I see a lot of folks who, uh, you know, very, very concerned about privacy. Um, And so when you're looking at some of these databases, um, there is a, um, a checkbox that allows these corporations to use or not use your information. Uh, but there are free um, web-based sites that you can load your information into that you and I, would ha- we could have access to. You just need a researcher uh, and a, probably a statistician to start looking at that information to be able to identify what, what would help you and what wouldn't. Do you think police work is going to change? Um, for example, I know police work always changes, evolves. When I came on the department, it was all about fingerprinting. And we didn't really do a lot with DNA with, like, a, for example, a purse snatch. Well, we know with epithelial cells, where there's transfer based on the struggle, you're going to get DNA transfer. Uh, do you think, do we even know as an organization now in law enforcement the changes that we're going to look at as it relates to DNA and how bigger it's going to get? Well, you know, that's a great question. And clearly it's one of the greatest tools that have come along for law enforcement to solve crimes. And then when you give law enforcement a new tool, uh, a, new, a, new, uh, a new toy, what does law enforcement do with it? We, we break it. So I'm not saying it's broken, but I'm saying we, we don't, you know, we haven't resourced our crime labs. We haven't, we haven't given uh, personnel the training uh, we don't have the tools in place. We don't have the infrastructure in place for DNA. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. We just haven't built that into law enforcement. We're, we're starting to do it more and more. Um, but there's a limit to what resources we have. 
how, how much does it cost? What kind of personnel do you need trained? Um, so it, it, a lot of times I feel like we have 40 pounds of potatoes and we're trying to put it into a 10-pound bag, and we're just not getting in all those potatoes in there. But I agree with you, uh, with both of you, that certainly this is going to be something in the future that, that if it hasn't, it's going to change the way that we, we police. You mentioned uh, Memphis and a couple other cities. Are you at liberty to talk a little bit about those and, and how those, um, Detroit was another city you mentioned, uh, how those cases came to light and, and how your organization was able to partner, if that's the right word to use, with these police departments and their cold case units. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this really started back in the, the 2000s, and there was a couple of uh, Judicial Watch articles about uh, – sexual assault kits sitting collecting dust. And um, people became concerned, clearly. Um, and uh, they went to Detroit. In fact, um, the lead prosecutor uh, in Wayne County, Kim Worthy, uh, was looking for some evidence in a case. Uh, and one of her investigators went to this old, broken-down warehouse uh, and opened up the door and found 14,000 rape kits. So 14,000? Yes, 14,000. Uh, that's not a mistake. And so that became a very public issue. Um, and of course, you know, Detroit has resource issues, clearly. Um, and that was part of this multidisciplinary issue that started in Detroit. Uh, then it went to Houston, Memphis discovered over 8,000, um, and then it just kind of snowballed. Um, but there's, there, there has been several jurisdictions that have realized this has been an issue and a problem. They want to address it, they want to reform it, and they've applied for these uh, Bureau of Justice Assistance grants to address these issues and not just test the kits, right? We're looking for reform in how they respond to sexual violence community-wise, not just the agencies. We're not just pointing fingers. There have been, so I've gone into several jurisdictions. It's really done my heart good. And I've seen these jurisdictions struggling, right? Struggling just to get through the next day and sexual assault was not a priority. And so they, that created an issue. Um, and I look back now, two to three years later, where they've worked this project, and you would not believe how that community, that agency, the prosecutor, everybody in that community has just kind of rallied, and what they're doing um, in the area of sexual violence has been phenomenal. And so this has been one of the, one of the shining stars of any federal, any federal program that I've ever been involved in, and I'm just very fortunate to be to feel like and be a part of this program yeah it'd be uh, real easy to point fingers you know because the way these kids are developing but i love the fact that instead of putting pointing fingers they're picking up a finger and they're lifting fingers and they're doing something to correct the problem because this is something that just all suddenly there it is dna that can solve crimes and we have all these old kids that are just like you said collecting dust well like you said earlier darren the the evolution of law enforcement is is never going to change and you know, unfortunately, we live in this a world of 15 minutes of fame, get rich quick, and people see on TV that DNA apparently takes about eight minutes and one nice commercial break. Commercial break, sure. And that's not exactly how it goes. So it's really <laughs> exciting to hear. And I know from past experience, there are detectives, not just here in Phoenix, but all across the country, that their passion is cold cases, and they... You don't come to work at 8 in the morning and go home at 4 o'clock and just forget about it. It's 24 hours a day. It's more about who you are. It's how you live your life. And, Jim, you just said it, it's 
doing your heart good. It's still your passion after all the service you gave to the community here. So this is really encouraging to hear. And you're, we are going to continue to hear about cases getting solved. Current cases hopefully will get solved at a faster, higher rate. But a lot of these cold cases that still mean something to the families, it never goes away. It never ends. And I love that jurisdictions are taking an active role. You know, in that. and I think about the victims of these rapes and we've been very, very careful with how we re-engage them into the system. Um, I can't imagine 20 years later after you've been a sexual assault victim and some detective knocking on you. Great around, point. Hey, Great point. Guess what? Well, we solved your case. And so we're, we're providing resources and support for those victims who may have never gotten help uh, yeah. or may, may have never sought uh, out any counseling or, or any support. And many of them never told their families. Well, I'm, Many of them have ch had children from, from these sexual assaults. For anybody who knows anything about what's called victimology, it's not always the actual incident. It's being re-victimized weeks, months, and years later by the system. And that's awesome that you have those things in place because it's life-changing to knock on somebody's door and reopen old wounds or take for granted that you have good news, it's just going to make everything okay. Uh, that's know, not how it goes. That's so interesting because we think it's great news. <laughs> we're going to get this of bad news. We're going to put awesome. them in prison. And they're going, look, I'm done with that yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah bless her heart. Yeah, I do want to make one plug. Yes, please. Uh, we do have a website uh, that you. anybody has access to. Um, it's www.sakitta.org. Anybody can... They can look at, we have 54 jurisdictions that are involved in this project. We have, uh, we have issue briefs. We have training. We have virtual academies. We have everything you would want um, to, to access, and I, I hope people do that. Is, I know we're talking to people. Is there a law enforcement organization out there, maybe some of the smaller ones, is there somewhere where they can find out information about these grants? Is that the same um, website? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, BJ just put out the solicitation for 2019. Um, they're looking at funding uh, 20 more sites. You can, you can get up to uh, $3 million for a three-year grant. Um, we are really pushing that out. Um, we now have 54 sites. Uh, so, yes, uh, they can go onto the BJA website uh, and look at the solicitation. And Well, we have two sites here. We have Maricopa County Attorney's Office and the Phoenix Police Department. Both have these grants. Um, and it's, it's phenomenal. The trust that you're re-engaging with your community has been something that, that has really been uh, amazing f for this project. Well, I can't thank our guests enough, Jim Market, as well as the organization. Am I saying it right? RTI. And I also want to thank uh, you listening on us for listening to such an engaging hey, Darren, episode. Yes. You gave me permission to do this. So yes, I'm going, I did. I'm going to say as a survivor of sexual assault... Thank you for what you guys are doing. No, thank you. And that is our producer, our producer Rock and Robin. Robin. Thank I, you. I love you, Robin. Thanks for speaking up. No, thank you so incredible. much. That is incredible. And again, we can't thank you enough, Jim, for what you're doing and RTI. And please relay that to them as well. Thank you so much. And Jim, so thank you. we have uh, our next segment. Uh, oh. Jason and I will talk in detail about keeping you safe. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. 
I'll never forget, never forget that moment as long as, I as long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Batch Boys, everybody. Following up on that awesome, awesome segment with Jim Markey. I just cannot get over. He is, he's just so good. His service that continues to sexual assault victims and the things that he is doing, his passion, it's going to make a, a huge, huge difference. And now we're going to talk, follow up on that a little bit. And Darren has a pretty powerful story that he's going to share with all of us. And we will discuss that further. Yeah, I was really fortunate when I was a silent witness sergeant, I did a lot of public speaking and a lot of lectures and so forth. And I used my background, having worked with Jim Markey uh, for the better part of a, a decade in sex crimes, both uh, child crimes and uh, adult sex crimes, and working a lot of those um, serial rape cases. And like Jim said, every sexual predator is a serial rapist. It's just a matter of stopping them. Um, and one thing I found that when I would do these lectures, I would talk about trusting your intuition. And I think when I talk out there, and I'm going to be talking to mostly the ladies out there, but men too, um, crime happens to everybody. Nobody is, uh, it can go unscathed. Um, it can happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime, as you mentioned, Jason. And trusting your intuition, I would go through these different groups, mainly uh, women groups, and I talk about that alarm. If you're sitting in your home and you hear your fire alarm go off, you're not going to sit there and say, eh, it's nothing. You know, you're going to check it out. You're going to see where that fire alarm is. You're going to check that part of the house. Make sure there's not a fire or some type of problem. And when you're in a situation and that alarm goes off in your heart, your brain, and something just doesn't seem right, and you're not sure what it is, that is trusting your intuition, owning that feeling, whatever that situation is. And that, those are the type of lectures I go um, talk to with individuals out there, trying to get them to trust that intuition. And it seems like something simple, but it really isn't. Because so many times, um, some young lady will be in a grocery store, and somebody will be following them, and, and they think, well, I don't want to you know, make a, a scene. I don't want to kind of say, why are you following me to my car? Do it. Stop that cart, turn it around, and say, are you following me? Because if that person is a good person, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry to, to alarm you. And they'll, they'll, they'll be, they will feel bad that you, they made you feel that way. They won't be offended. A bad person, well, you just called them out. So that's what you need to think about when you're doing things. Trust that intuition. The reason I like to tell this story is that when my, um, oh, it's probably 15 years ago, my stepfather had passed away, and my mom had a hard time dealing with it, as any widow would. And maybe maybe three years later, she kind of started getting on with her life again. She had a girlfriend, and they were planning to go to California. I was still working silent witness at the time, and I was uh, talking to my mom about this trip, and she's, she's gone now, oh, bless her heart. So when she was talking about this trip, you know, I'm listening 
and it was a, a trip to Hollywood. They're going to do all the, the things that tourists do. And so I'm walking out of the house, and it, it hit me, almost like trust my intuition. I felt funny about not having this talk with her. I've, I've had this talk with so many ladies around the valley as a silent witness sergeant. I thought, I need to sit down and share this, this message with her about owning this, any situation you find yourself in, acknowledging it and dealing with it and not looking the other way, not being a potential victim because that's what these predators look for. They look for that gazelle that's, that's minding their own business, not looking. They're the perfect victim because they're not going to be a good witness. They're going to be, you know, um, vulnerable. So I asked my mom, I said, do you have a few minutes where I can talk to you real quick about something that's concerning me? And she goes, Sure. So we sat down and I kind of shared with her that trust your intuition. If you find yourself in a situation, I kind of gave it the scenario of California. If you find yourself at some touristy place and there's somebody across the street and they just seem like they're stalking you or they're paying too much attention to you or they're following you, anything, whatever it is that you feel, own it, acknowledge it. And for example, make sure they see that you see them. And if they walk across the street, you walk across the other side of the road or you go into a store, but you let them know you're aware of their presence. So I shared this with her and it made me feel good about myself. Well, she took her trip to California and when she came back, she had quite a story to tell me. Her and her girlfriend had gone out of the hotel and you know how they have the um, limousine service right in front of the hotel. She got into the, the next limousine that was there and they're going to go to one of the tour spots. I want to say it was the uh, sign, the Hollywood sign, famous Hollywood sign. But in any regard, she knew where it was at, basically, because she had her little map. And so she tells the, uh, the driver, uh, we want to go to the sign. So he, takes, he, he drives off, and her friend is talking to her this whole time. And she notices they're going the wrong way. They're not going in the way that she thought they would go based on her little map of the tour spots. So she kind of interrupts her friend and tells the driver, I think you're going the wrong way. And in a very rough voice, he says, you don't know. Something very rude, like you don't know what you're talking about. I know where I'm going. So that kind of bothered her. Again, trusting her intuition, that bothered her. So she started looking around the, the car and she knew, she knew something wasn't right. She couldn't put her finger on it. And I'll tell you what it was later. But she knew something wasn't right. And she just had that funny feeling. So she said, go ahead and stop the car. Well, at this point, her friend is like, what are you doing? And she goes, no, stop the car. We're getting out. We're going to get another taxi. And he goes, no, 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 we're going. You're fine. And so she starts trying the handles and she can't open the door. She can't open the door. And now she's really panicking. So she gets on her phone. And the other thing I always tell people is your best weapon is your mouth and a phone. Scream, yell, cause attention. You're the safest you'll ever be when you're first approached by a bad person. You're at the worst possible point when he takes you to his destination, which will be secluded and remote and scary. So on that first approach, when you first feel this, you be loud, you be noisy, and you use your phone. And so she got on her phone and she called 911. And as soon as the driver heard her on the phone with 911, he immediately stopped the car, got them out, and then he dragged them out. He literally grabbed them by their body and threw them out of the car and kicked my mom's friend. And my mom's friend was just shocked. Like, what? It went from, you know, everything's fine to something's horrible going on. So my mom stayed on the phone. 
and the the helicopter came over and they found the car. He was a serial rapist who would pretend to be a taxi cab driver in his own vehicle, and he had it rigged so that the um, uh, the back doors wouldn't open up, and they were you know secured. They were he, his his uh, victims were secured in the back of his vehicle and then take them to secluded places that he knew where he would either rob them or rob and rape them. And my mom having the, the knowledge of that little, little lecture I gave her, she also used the phone to show that vehicle. So they were able to get a partial license plate and this whole case resulted in his arrest. Uh, it's one of those neat stories I love to share because you really can stop horrible things from happening if you're aware of a couple things. One is your environment. She knew she wasn't in the right car. You know why? That car didn't have the little placard that would have his name and his photo and his permit to be a taxi cab driver. Even though she couldn't put her finger on it, she knew something was wrong about this car. It just Something about it didn't make sense. It didn't have the, uh, the radio where they would call to dispatch, you know, and so forth. There were so many things that just didn't make sense, but the brain figured it out even though she didn't. Her subconscious picked up on it. So I always like sharing that story. But it is all about knowing your environment, being aware of your environment. Don't always be on your phone with your head down as you're walking to your car in the parking lot. Be aware of that environment. But most of all, Trust your intuition. If something you feel something's bad, but you can't put your finger on it, you be loud, you be noisy, and if you made a mistake, guess what? No one's going to blame you. Not the person that you think may be of, of doing you harm. If he's a good person, he'll understand. He'll feel bad and s- sorry that he put you in that place. The police won't feel won't be upset because it's a false alarm. Oh. They'll be glad they're there to help you. It's all about keeping you safe in the environment we live. Yeah, that is. An incredible story, and intuition is remarkably powerful. It's it's amazing how our minds and our emotions and our bodies are made yeah. that we can feel when just something isn't right. And a lot of times it'll it'll come out. You'll be like, "Wow!" I thankfully I, I knew something was up. coming. And you're right about we the world we live in. We do walk with our heads down. I'm guilty of it. Buried in my phone, answering emails or checking social media or whatever, and. When you are feeling the safest or the least vulnerable is many times when opportunity exists for that predator, the predator to make you the victim. And you do not have to be a victim. You might be listed as one on a police report. You might be called one in a court of a law. Being a victim is, is a choice, but you can also hopefully do some things to prevent that. Yeah, we always talk about being a survivor. It's all about surviving. Yeah. Uh, we're not victims, we're survivors. Even yeah. if we're victimized, we will survive. It, and it's that power that you've, you've talked about. Exactly. And that's remarkable that uh, she was able to overcome that. And I'm sure from that day forward, she continued to look out for those safe yeah, signs. And, and she became a, a believer. Yeah, because, you know, being the... Uh, mother of a cop for you know, you know 20 some odd years at right. that time before she, for her uh, passing um, she was always aware that crime is because as cops we always talk about you know our day you know yeah. and different things we see and so she was keenly aware that crime occurred to people but you always think not me everybody even cops think not me but everybody could potentially be a victim and like you've said you know in your horrific situation you know, never saw that happening in a million years. You know, you just never know what when 
times he's going to strike. Well, what's scary about the, the world right now, you think back to when you and I were kids. What were we preached to and told to? Don't get in a car with a stranger. And now, and I do it all the time because Uber. I travel. <laughs> Uber. I call strangers to come pick me up. Yeah. And give me a ride yeah. somewhere. Now, you take that one step further. You take it to uh, maybe a young woman who's just leaving a bar and she's trying to get home safe. She's not going to risk other people's safety. She's not going to get involved in a DUI. Her friends want to continue the party. She's ready to go home. What do they do? They call an Uber. I saw a documentary a week ago that Uber driver in, uh, I believe is in Michigan, about a year ago, and he ended up shooting and killing six people over the course of a night. In between, he's still picking up people and, yes. and taking yes. them to their destination. The, the mo- monsters do not wear masks or carry signs saying, hey, I'm going to rape or kill you. That, that's not how it happens. And furthermore, these predators, whether homicidal, sexual predators, they look for the opportunity. Jim Markey talked a little bit about it. It's all about opportunistic. They are absolutely opportunistic creatures, but they put themselves in the position to target based on that opportunity. For example, a, a pedophile will look for school children at a school. It may be opportunistic in the sense that the kids are walking across the street, but he's at a school. And th- these predators will find jobs that will allow them in a position to offend. For example, the, that's why, unfortunately, so many of these priests have been, you know, unfortunately, these sexual predators, well, and pedophiles. In a position but, of trust. Exactly. We've seen them even as police officers. We both know people that were police officers that are now are in prison because they were doing bad things. Um, and that's a, that, that's a calling, just like any other calling, like a priesthood. But Uber, oh my gosh, you get to have someone who doesn't know you get into your vehicle. Um, there are predators that would love to be an Uber driver. And this is not me throwing down Uber or any other no, organization. Not all, I'm not throwing down priesthood. I'm not throwing down cops. But these are, I'm throwing down the predators that will look to, to victimize you by finding a position where you're vulnerable. And yes, you need to be aware. Even when you're in a position where you're going into an Uber, you need to be aware of your surroundings and understand that if something isn't right, up don't worry about offending an Uber driver. Say, you know what? I'll get a taxi. You know what? I'll call a friend. You know what? I'll get the next Uber driver. Own it, acknowledge it, and trust your intuition. Well, there's an old saying in law enforcement that all that matters is that you go home safe every night. And that, goes, that, that doesn't go for just law enforcement. That goes for all of us. Every day, that's the goal. We want to be safe, and we want to go about our lives, and unfortunately, evil exists in this world, and we have to watch out for it. So, awesome story, Darren. Great. And well, that uh, ends this uh, segment of Cop Talk, and I can't wait for our next segment, which will be Heroic Headlines with a really special guest. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember, the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. 
Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Well, I hope you like that segment with me and Jason talking about uh, staying safe in our environment regarding the uh, horrific sexual prayers that are out there. Now the transition to something heroic. And un- unlike past episodes where we talk about heroic headlines that Jason um, you know, shares with us, as well as my stupid suspect stories, we are going to forgo that because we have a really interesting guest. He is our guest for the Heroic Headline segment. This is retired captain with DPS, uh, Mike Denny. He is also with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office now. You, do, you have so many hats, my friend. I've been told that. <laughs> a, li- a lifetime of service is the most important, and I thank you. I usually, I usually bump into Mike in the past in the grocery store, which is, is great. Thankfully, I've never bumped into him in a place that I would not be proud to talk about it. it's usually buying milk or something so okay okay uh, we're gonna keep it clean I've known, I've known mike for a very long time but he truly a, a life of service to uh here in maricopa county assistant chief mesa pd and all those years with dps and now uh with the county attorney so uh, very excited to have him and with all that he is doing something that in fact i had a, a, a and i didn't know mike i had the pleasure of meeting him for the purpose of this show and you shared with me, Mike, something that you did upon retirement that it's like something that's not you, that you wanted to kind of take up the motorcycle and do this ride. And can you kind of share about, a little bit about that? Well, I think what really brought it to, to light was when Trooper Edenhofer was killed. Um, I'd been around the department at that point since, you know, 1973. And unfortunately, I'd seen and known most of the 30 guys that had died. And that one just really hit home because... Uh, here was a young man you know, just starting out in his career, and he has this horrible event, and he dies. So I thought, what do we do as, as a community, and, and what do we do as former DPS employees um, to remember those people? Because the sad thing about folks is oftentimes, especially in this business, and you guys know it, uh, sometimes it's like sticking your finger in a bucket of water when you leave or when something happens and someone passes away. There's a short time of remembrance, and there's a, there's a short time of, of uh, people sharing stories about them, and then they kind of fade into the sunset. Yes. And we went, we're not going to let that happen. And so uh, I came up with this idea initially just to get a bunch of guys together to go for a ride and basically ride all over the state and visit all the locations where we have monuments for DPS officers that have been killed. Um, I reached out to a guy named Terry Johnson, who you both know, uh, who was one of my detectives years ago down in, May, in Tucson, and Terry is a dynamo. And he picked this thing up, and all of a sudden, we were off to the races. And so we are here today largely because of Terry. Uh, we're actually doing these three rides, and we're raising money for Cops Arizona. And it's, it's a labor of love. It really is, because this is, this is something we hope will grow over the years. But it has been so rewarding, and, and the response has been great. But we still need more help. And so talk a little bit about these rides, okay. uh, you know, where they're at, uh, how people can get involved, the time frame, and all that good stuff. Well, we're actually going to do three, uh, because as we looked at the officers who had been killed, we realized that, unlike cities, I mean, DPS officers and troopers. Entire state. 
Yeah, I, we have folks that have died in the line of duty all the way from Page to Nogales and from, you know, from Kingman to Hauk and from Yuma to Texas Canyon. So they're all over the state, so a single ride wasn't very feasible. So we came up with the idea we would do three rides. The first ride is actually going to be in northern Arizona. It's going to start in Prescott, at least as an initial point, in September. Uh, we'll also have officers starting in Hauk uh, in that area for the two officers who were killed there and folks starting in Kingman, and then they will all meet uh, on September 21st in Flagstaff at Fort Tuttle at the, at the county fairgrounds for a barbecue. So good. Yeah. And, and uh, let me kick out one thing here. This is a motorcycle ride in name. You don't have to ride a motorcycle. Okay? We, don't want, we don't want to turn anybody away. So if you want to drive your car, you want to drive your truck, you want to bring your family, please do. Just register and pay the fees and we'll be good to go. The second ride is actually going to be in the Tucson area in October. Uh, we're going to start in Tucson, but we're going to go as far as Yuma and as far west or as east as, as uh, um, east of Benson. Uh, and then we're actually going to have some folks coming up from Nogales. Wow. Uh, and then we'll, we'll actually meet at the uh, Tucson Harley-Davidson location and then go to the city of Marana. They've given us a park. The Marana Police Department has been a big partner in this. They're giving us a city park for free, and we're going to have a barbecue there. The last ride is November 2nd here in the Valley. Uh, we're going to start out at Desert Winds Harley-Davidson in, in Mesa. Uh, they've been kind enough to offer their facilities for us. And then our office, the riders will actually go, or the participants will actually go as far south as Sacatone, as far north as Sycamore Creek on 87 for, you know, Bob Gorgeous. Martin and, and, yeah, yeah. and, and Give Duthie, um, and as far north as, as Anthem. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll meet, and then eventually this will all culminate with a ride to the Air Department of Public Safety headquarters at 21st Avenue in Cano, uh, where we're going to plant three flags. Uh, each of those flags will have the names of all the officers on it. Uh, we're going to have the families involved to the extent that they want to be involved. And as you guys heard in the last segment, um, there's a victimization there when your family member dies in line of duty. And sometimes it's one of those things you just don't want to play with anymore. Yeah. So we understand that. But we hope to have a, a large crowd turn out there. We're going to have another barbecue uh, at that location. And here's something that will just, just crack you up. This is the kind of people we deal with. Um, we have a, a place called Matt's Classic Dogs. It's a catering company. Two family members work for DPS. Matt's Classic Dogs is donating all of the food and getting all, wow. of, the, all of the stuff for the barbecues for nothing. Can we give a shout out to them? Uh, yeah, how they would that. get a hold of uh, it? Just Matt's Classic Dogs. And, and they, they're a family owned business and they, they've done a, they're just doing great stuff for us. Well, between now and the first of the three rides, anytime you need catering, Let's call Matt and give them some business Absolutely. Right? to right? help out with this. You brought up Trooper Edenhofer, and that hits close to home for me. Barely two months before he was killed in the line of duty, I was in his academy class teaching and uh, sharing with these recruits my story and saying, you never know how quick. And, of course, uh, he wasn't even off training. And in an instant, uh, things can change. And for the families, uh, it it doesn't go away, and you talk about Bob Martin, and you talk about uh, all the other officers with DPS that you're going to honor. That will be an incredible thing. And for those of you who don't know, you, you mentioned COPS of Arizona. COPS Arizona. COPS stands for Concerns of Police Survivors. Outstanding organization. They are all across the country. I've been blessed to visit and speak to many of them throughout the United States. But uh, Concerns of Police Survivors, look them up. Great, great organization to donate to, and along with getting some food from Matt's. If there's someone listening out 
right now in the audience and they want to be involved, whether it be the, um, you know, riding their motorcycle or their car, right. uh, or maybe to sponsor, where would they go? How can they help? Uh, there, we have a website. It's a fallen hero motor memorial ride.org fallen hero memorial ride.org. And you can go to that and it'll let you register. You can also get the sponsorship forms. Um, It'll, it'll walk you right through the process. And one of the unique things we're doing is if you sign up for one ride, you've signed up for all three. So if you want to sign up for Phoenix and you want to ride in the north and in the south, there's not an additional cost. It's just one shot. Um, a couple other people that have been pretty amazing for us. Oh, please. Kind of shout out. Shout out. Nash Power Sports in Mesa. Um, it's a family-owned company. Uh, I went to them and said, hey, this is what we're looking at doing. And they said, how can we help? And I said, facetiously, why don't you give me a motorcycle? And they said, Okay. Oh. <laughs> hey, you never, never know until you ask, right? No, and, and those guys have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they're working with us, and we're going to be raffling off a 2019 Honda Wilderness bike as part of this. There'll be 500 tickets sold, $50 a piece. We're reserving those for the registrants, and after August 1st, if they're, they're not all sold out, we'll open it up to the public. But they, they've been great. All the Harley-Davidson dealerships, Buddy Stubbs, Tucson Harley-Davidson, Chandler, uh, I know I'm going to forget somebody. Desert Winds, they've done a great, they've, they've all been great to us. Hey, what do you need from us? All they ask is that let us be involved. Yes. And, and they're amazing groups of people. And you just don't know these folks are out there until you start asking. And you've known me a long time. And me, me going up and calling people on the phone and going, uh, <clears throat> uh, would you be willing to give yeah. us money it, or sponsorship? Difficult. And then having it's, people go, yeah. And you go, wow. It's not yeah. in our DNA. No. no. Yeah, it really no. isn't. No, it isn't. No, it's not and, easy. and we've had a bunch of hotels like um, Honda Resort the Hilton in Mesa, uh, Little America in Flagstaff, uh, the Prescott Resort and Bucky's Casino. They're, they're all doing things for us, giving us reduced rates, letting us use those as registration locations and stuff. So there are a lot of people out there. So, you know, th this has really turned out well. And I, and I think I'd be remiss in, in really, if I didn't just talk about the real reasons we're doing this. One Thank you, please, please. Obviously, pay homage to the guys that have passed away and, and to their families. But there's more to it than that. Um, the second part of this, I think, obviously, is, is to allow some of us to heal small wounds. That, you know, we all know this. We all get together, and we're, we're our own best medicine. Yes. Um, and, and to do something good like this. Um, the third thing I'd tell you is, is that we want to raise money for Cops Arizona, obviously. They're a good organization. They support the families and those coworkers, individuals that have died in the line of duty. And I think the, the last two things are, one, we want this to be the first year and we hope over the next few years this is going to grow to be a statewide event where all first responders, firefighters, police officers, EMTs, even tow truck operators and DOT personnel who are killed in the line of duty can be remembered. Yeah, the people who people are, truly are forgotten and not, right. not mentioned. But they, yeah. they are doing a serious public service out there. you think first responders, you always think comps and firemen. Right. But there's right. so many people right. out there that help the community. Right. Yes. And put themselves in dangerous conditions, oh, and you, we don't talk about yeah, them, unfortunately, as much on the news. And, so that's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I think the last thing, and probably the one that's as important to me as anything else, is we live in a time when being a cop is very difficult. A lot more difficult some, than some we negativity all out there and that this, we don't talk about on this show because it's all about positive. Right. Thank no, you. but you're it's right. Out we're, we're it's a, out there. We're in a down cycle right now. Right. The, the with with news or just public opinion, and the 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 dangerous part and the disappointing part. For me, I, I still remember exactly why I put my name on that application, and there's nothing more in this world than I loved than being a cop. I still consider myself a huge part of law enforcement. But we're going to see the support. The, the support 
decrease, but we're going to see the numbers of, of young people who want to be police officers decrease, and that's only going to lessen the safety of our communities, and it's such an incredible job. So something like but, this is going to inspire people who maybe are like, you know what, I want to do that job. They're going to see this. They're going to see the camaraderie. They're going to see the love and the support and the, what behind the badge is all about. So that's awesome. And, and that's really the key, I think, that, that I was hitting on, Jason, is the support thing. The, the majority of people out there are the silent majority, and, and they do support police officers and, yes. and firefighters. And this is their chance to visibly go out and, and show, show people that. that that's true and, and tell all those people behind the badge, we do care about you. Yes. You know, we really do. So yes. it's a labor of love, and uh, we, we couldn't be happier. In the two minutes that we have left, can you talk about your uh, aspirations? You mentioned in the very beginning of the segment that, you know, we're hoping it will get bigger. Can you right. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we're, well, we have a lot of law enforcement agencies, Marana, Nogales. We've had some fire departments, et cetera, that have gotten involved in helping us out with things. And they're very interested in it, um, the, just the concept, because it's not something that's done here. It's, there are rides done across the nation in smaller but amounts. But individually. But individually. But nothing where we just say, hey, this is going to be the Arizona First Responders Memorial Ride. We're going to do X number of rides on these days and these months, and anybody that wants to can participate. And that's our goal. For all our fallen For officers. For all our fallen officers, our firefighters, our EMTs, the DOT guys, you know, all of those folks. Because, as you say, they're out there providing a service and they don't get the recognition that they deserve. So we're hoping this grows over the next few years into people saying, oh, I remember when this started in 2019 with a bunch of guys who just had a kind of a harebrained idea and look what it's grown into. Yeah, I want to take a quick second to, this is a, a, a great week to mention the safety of all of our motorcycle riders out there because people are going to be involved Rain. with this. They're going to want to get out there and they're going to tour the state. They're going to support law enforcement and there's going to be a lot of motorcycle riders. Just this week alone, mm -hmm. three people have been killed in motorcycle accidents mm -hmm. and it's really drives me crazy in this city how people weave in and out of traffic. They speed. They don't use their blinkers. They're taking everybody's safety for granted. And when you're on a motorcycle, a lot of times you don't get a second chance. I mean, I've had three pretty bad car accidents that <laughs> progressively got worse. None of mine would have been survivable on a motorcycle accident. Watch out for our motorcycle riders. I don't ride a bike because it scares the heck out of me. Um, but gives them some respect, gives them some space. And for all you guys who are coming out to do this ride, again, it doesn't have to be on a motorcycle. Nope. And support the people. I'm definitely going to use mats. I use Harley. I need specially made sunglasses because of the, the burn injuries to my eyes. And the only place that I can find these glasses are at Harley-Davidson stores. And they, wow. take, they wow. take such good care of me. I go in there. Uh, there's one close to my house at Cave Creek and Thunderbird that I go into all the time. So... Uh, thank you for that. Go to the website. And um, that website, one more time? It's FallenHeroMemorialRide.org. Look at the packages, sign up for something, or just come out. And again, it doesn't have to be on a, like me. Uh, I'll come out in my car. I won't be on a motorcycle. You don't have to be. Nope. But go to the website, see what sponsorships are out there, and please, please check out Concerns of Police Survivors Arizona because they are an awesome and, and if you can't ride, volunteer. Because we're going to have tons of people with registration and food and setup and stuff. Anything, you, if there's a job that can be done, we're going to need somebody to do it. And you get to go to some great, this is the entire state yep. we're talking about. You can go to so many places. And even for those of you out of state, you want to see something good? Go to Prescott, go to Sedona, go to Flagstaff, go to Tombstone. 
Marana is a phenomenal mm-hmm. city and town. And a shout out to Terry Johnson. I love Terry. He took such good care of me with the Arizona Homicide Investigators Association, all of our conferences. And I know he's doing great work out there. So thank you, Terry, for picking up Amen. some of this and running with it. It's going to be a great, great organization. And Mike, I got a present for you. You get to stick around and hear Jason's inspirational message, which is fantastic. All right. This week's inspirational message in honor of ash wednesday i'm going to tell one of my favorite stories and to give a little background on this when i first got into my accident and i was i was in a coma for more than two months i was blind when i woke up i'm laying in a hospital bed i'm useless then months later i get home and i always had this feeling of just being blanketed by the thankfulness that I was alive and and a lot of positive thoughts even in some very dark times even in tremendous pain even in tremendous fear and there were times I will admit that I was thinking to myself okay when's it going to hit when's the PTSD going to hit when am I going to fall apart when am I going to lose it because this isn't normal to feel like this So about eight months, I'd say, after my injury, I'm sitting in my chair, again, completely blind, and I'm listening to one of my favorite TV shows at the time, and there's a story that comes on. And I hear this story, and I'm like, that's it. I got it. Now I understand. And I've never let go of that. I still uh, love to to think about this story. And it's a lot of you are out there, you're going to say, oh, I know this story, because it's pretty famous. It's called The Drowning Man. It's about a guy who's sitting on top of his roof while the town is flooding. Rowboat comes by. It says, jump in. I will take you to safety. The guy says, no, I believe in God. I am praying to God. He'll save me. So the rowboat leaves. He must later, speedboat comes by. He says, jump in. Come over here. I will take you to safety. Save your life. Nope. I have faith in God. I believe in God. He's going to save me. Speedboat leaves. Pretty soon a helicopter flies over, drops a ladder down, says, grab on, I will fly you to safety. And the guy says, no, I'm praying to God, I'm going to be fine, he's going to take care of me. So the helicopter leaves. Well, pretty soon the waters rise up, guy drowns. He gets into heaven and he is very upset, demanding his audience with God. He gets in front of God and he says, God, I believe in you, I prayed to you, I had faith in you. How did you let this happen? And God said, I gave you a rowboat, a speedboat, and a helicopter. (laughs) What the hell are you doing here? (laughs) And when I look back, I had a fire truck in my intersection. I had the doctors. I had the police officers. I had the career that I loved. I had the family. I had the child afterwards, all the way up to just so many things. I've had everything I've needed. What more could I have ever expected? And I love... To think of that story whenever I'm questioning why or whatever else, you have everything you need available to you. It's your choice to latch onto it and use it to pull yourself forward. Thank you, everybody. Been an awesome show. Can't thank you enough for uh, Mike. Please get involved with that motorcycle ride and fundraiser. And that segment with Jim was awesome. We'll see you all next week. Match Boys.
Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.